How good are you at your listening to your gut? You know, that's all you have. That's really all I have, I should say, is listening to that inner voice and, and just trusting it. And when I go against it is usually a mistake. Welcome back to the same 24 hours podcast. I'm so glad that you are spending a little bit of time with me today. Today's guest is Dave Coulier. Yes, that is Uncle Joey from the show Full House and the new reboot Fuller House. He really doesn't need an introduction. Like we have known Uncle Joey forever, but do you know Dave? I wish I would have had more time with him. Um, So interesting, so funny, and just a lot of wisdom here. I wanted to be able to ask him about his flying because he likes to fly planes and we didn't quite get to it. But he has an incredible bio. I'm not going to read everything, but of course he's best known for his role as Joey on the ABC television series Full House. And he has also hosted... ABC's World's Funniest Videos. He has been on Jimmy Fallon, The View, Good Morning America, The Today Show, and he is launching a new media company in February called Grilled Cheese Media. He also is a voiceover actor, so you may know him from Scooby-Doo and some of the Muppet Babies episodes, which is really cool. He played the voice of Animal and Waldorf and Statler the two old guys in the balcony (laughs) on the Muppet. So very cool. Really honored that he took the time to speak with me. This was sort of surreal to have, um, you know, I, I watched full house. I was probably a little older than many of you when I was watching it, (laughs) but, um, yeah, it was really surreal to wake up this morning and go, Oh my gosh, I'm going to talk to Dave Coulier today. And I did. So very cool. Very cool. I hope you all have a happy holiday if you're listening to this before. And if you are listening after, I hope it was good. And 2020 is close, close, close in our rear view. Before we get on with the show, I want you to make sure you understand that we have an amazing community launching in January, the Meredith Atwood Coaching Community and Coaching, and MAC for short. And you can join that for free. It's going to be a really awesome opportunity to get to know people in our community, um, to have live content, interaction, and events, as well as group coaching, if that is up your alley. So you can sign up for that at my website, swimbikemom.com. Scroll to the bottom, sign up for the email, and you will receive information when that launches on December 27th. I hope you all enjoy this episode with Dave Coulier. It was really cool. Hi, and welcome to the same 24 hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Very, very special guest today. Dave Coulier is here. Hi, Dave. Hi, do we say good morning? Good evening? Uh, wh- when is this airing? Is it, is it live? You're the boss. 
<laughs> that's it. Okay. You're hello everyone. Hello everyone. That's right. That's right. Um, so I don't really know that I've ever had a guest who is quite as relevant as you. And what I mean by that is like my friends know who you are and my children know who you are. So that's really cool. Congratulations for being so relevant. <laughs> thank you. I, I thank you. I'm generationally diverse. I guess maybe that's uh, maybe that's the gift that Full House and Fuller House has, has given me. I mean, could you have ever imagined your life like when you were funny as a kid, and you're like, "Oh, I'm funny. Maybe this will get me somewhere." I mean, could you have imagined you would end up here? No, because I was the uh, I was the annoying kid because I could do impressions <laughs> of all my teachers and all my hockey coaches and baseball coaches. So, you know, it's funny because I called them sound effects, but people I said, oh, those noises you used to do. I was like, no, there were sound effects. Right. Or I hear people, teachers that just hated my guts that, you know, come to my stand up shows and they'll go, you were the funniest kid I always knew. And I said, I used to have to stay after class. You hated my guts. Well, You're I like, did. You lie. <laughs> Lies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when did you know you were funny? I mean, you say that everyone thought you were the annoying kid, but you thought you were funny. So when did, when do you have a moment where you thought, Hey, I'm actually funny. This is real. I come from a very large family, very large uh, Catholic family. Uh, my dad had uh, seven brothers and two sisters and they were all funny. And so whenever we had a family gathering, the adults would all sit together and they would talk about who was on the Tonight Show or the Ed Sullivan Show. My uncle Dick thought he was Rodney Dangerfield. So he used to wear a fake tie and do <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield jokes. So I always wanted to sit at that table with the adults because they were just doing one-liners and, and telling jokes. And they were all funny, every single one of them. And, and they would just sit around and laugh. And so as a kid, that was kind of my, my model, you know, was, ooh, I want to sit at the adult table and make jokes. But when I really started realizing that I was funny, I was a hockey player my whole life uh, from eight years old on. And when you're sitting in that dressing room, you've got 20 people sitting around putting their gear on and they're tiring their skates and getting ready. So it was kind of like having a, a captive audience. You know, I would, I would just start, you know, throwing <laughs> little zingers or doing an impression of the coach and some of the kids would laugh. And then when they started asking me to do it again, I knew I was on to something, but that was kind of my, my mechanism. Um, was to hear laughter because my parents got divorced when I was nine. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, growing up in a Catholic community and I was the only divorced parents kid, I would make jokes about it. And I would say, you know, uh, my mom and dad split up and my dad's not even dating anyone. You know, that was my joke, you know, and, and I thought it was a funny joke when I was a little kid, but it was my way of coping and it was my way of you know, I was, I was no longer hearing those laughs at home. And so I created laughter and um, I didn't really realize that until many, many years later on. And I started thinking about why I wanted to be a professional funny person. And that was a, that was a big part of it. A professional funny person. That's great. Um, tell me about stand up because there is something in me that wants to desperately get on a stage and 
and try it just once. And then there's part of me that, that thinks that could be the worst possible thing I ever do. Um, because I think I'm funny sometimes. And, um, my, when I was practicing law, my secretary said, well, when you guys have kids, those kids are going to be so funny. Cause you're so funny. I was like, I am funny. And so I'm like, maybe I should try and be funny. But the thought of standing there with my hard work and putting it out there and saying, I hope this is funny. Like, how, how did you do that? How, like, what is your thoughts about stand up now? Uh, you know, stand up for me was always uh, kind of my own therapy. And, and it was, um, you know, I would, I still to this day, I have these funny thoughts and funny jokes that, that I process. And I think, Ooh, I've got to tell that joke to someone. Um, you know, I hear from so many people. I have a friend who, you know, is in my softball league. This guy is so funny. He should be doing stand up. And I said, well, can he be funny on Friday and Saturday night at eight and 1030 for an hour <laughs> when people are paying 35 bucks to see him? And it, you know, after that opening act goes on, uh, he or she has to follow them and, and do an hour of rip roaring funny. That's the difference. Um, it's one thing to be funny, um, but to do it professionally, um, it's, uh, it's terrifying because you're only as good as your last show. You're only as good as your last laugh. And you have to prove every single thing you say. Uh, it's not like a musician where they're going to always clap at the end of that song. Uh, they're not always going to laugh at the end of every joke. So it's, it's, it's a real, um, it's something that you you never you never conquer stand up. Stand up is always conquering you, and and it it is it's tough. It's hard to do it live. Um, I've never sugarcoated it. I've always said this is a really hard thing to do for me. I'm nervous until I get to that microphone. And then when I get at that microphone, everything seems to just kind of all the clouds disappear and the world opens up and it's a ray of sunshine. And I can't wait to feel like I'm the funniest person, the fastest mind in this room for the next hour and a half. So it's, it's a really simple little thing for me to process in my brain, but my brain's got cartoons whirring around it. <laughs> Do you have a favorite memory from stand-up? Like, was there a show that you started out and you were like, oh my God, I'm dying up here and you turned it around? Or is there just one that, that comes to mind that's a, a good one to remember? Sure, there, there's tons of those. When you're first starting out, you know, you've got to play a bunch of different venues. You know, you're on new talent nights or you're in the disco or you're opening for, you know, whatever. Um, so I have plenty of those. I have plenty of those bomb nights or plenty of those nights where it didn't quite go off as I planned it. <clears throat> and that's another thing about stand-up. You can never assume anything because it can change on a dime. And so uh, I have lots of those moments. There was a, there was a time when um, my best friend, Mark Sandrowski, Mark and I are from the same town, St. Clair Shores, Michigan. And Mark Mark directed the Big Bang Theory. He directed all 12 seasons. And so he and I, we were partners in crime. And so uh, he would open for me locally here in Detroit when I was first starting out. And so one night 
my mom and my grandmother decide they're going to surprise me and come and go to, you know, they're going to come to the show, to the, to the comedy castle here in Detroit. And they sit in the front row. And so I don't know it. My friend Mark doesn't know it. So Mark had this bit where he used to do this character, Mark Suave, and he would unbutton his shirt and he would pull his tit out. He would pull his nipple out and he would show it to a lady in the front row and he'd go, I know what you're looking at. (laughs) And so he's up there and I realize, oh my God, that's my mom and my grandma in the front row. And Mark is sticking his tit in their face. And so that was like in my grandma, I remember just had the biggest smile on her face. I thought, how did my grandma <laughs> think that's funny? I obviously don't know her. Who so, are you, grandma? Yeah. So, you know, I have so many moments where, uh, you know, it was just terrifying. And then there's other moments where it was the most amazing feeling in the world, you know? Um, you know, where Robin Williams came up to me, I was 20 years old at the comedy store at the original room in, in, um, in, in Hollywood. And, uh, he was the biggest comedy star on the planet. And I had one of those sets where, you know, I had never seen anybody get a standing ovation. And then I got one one night and, uh, he came up to me after the show and he's like, Whoa, what the F was that? Holy crap, that was wonderful. And I'd never met him. And and I sat and talked with him for about 45 minutes. Just wow. we went to the bar next to the um we went to this little table next to the bar at the comedy store. And uh we sat down and for 45 minutes he just told me how great I was gonna be. And I thought, this guy does not have to do this right now. And it was one of those um one of those key moments in my career at 20 years old where I thought I'm on the right track. Just, Mm -hmm. it's really hard. You're not making any money, but you know, you're a doorman here at the comedy store. Um, But you're doing sets and you're killing and just um, stay on this course. And that intuition that told you that, I mean, how strong has your intuition been? And is that, does it still serve you? Or sometimes are you like, oh my gosh, my intuition is so far off. And I'm glad I learned that lesson now instead of later. Like how good are you at your listening to your gut? You know, that's all you have. That's really all I have. I should say it is listening to that inner voice and, and just trusting it. And when I go against it is usually a mistake. Uh, I'll, I'll Mm. make career decisions. And just, if something doesn't feel right, um, I'm usually, you know, pretty in tune with, uh, okay, I think this might be great. Um, but it's also, it's terrifying. I don't know where my next job's coming from. I, I, to this day, I, I don't know. I'm launching this media company in February and, um, I don't know what's going to happen. I honestly don't, but I believe something big is going to happen. And so uh, that's how I kind of feel about every project though. I I feel like, wow, this is going to be huge, but I've had, you're looking at one of the biggest failures ever. You know, I I have failed my way to success. I really Mm, have. I love that. But I've never been afraid of those failures. It's like, well, Hey, that one didn't work, but I got five more over here that that could work and so that's just always the way i've processed 
things through my career is, yeah, I've, you know, I've, I've made some mistakes and I've, I've really, but I've failed my way to success. I really have. And, um, you know, I could go on with story after story of, of things that I didn't get, but there's that one little sliver, like full house where, oh, I got that one. How did that, that happen? Does everyone know that story? Well, I, I don't know the story, I but was, um, I was a standup and I, and I had done some, some acting roles. I was a guest star on New Heart and Family Ties. And I was in a Cheech and Chong movie. And I, I had uh, hosted a series on Nickelodeon called Out of Control. And I had been a Tonight Show comedian. I was on the Tonight Show doing standup. And I, I had done all these wonderful things. You know, I had, I had done a lot of cartoon voices and, and worked with all my cartoon voiceover heroes like Mel Blanc and Dawes Butler. And, and, and so I had all these wonderful things going on. And then um, I started to kind of make a, a you know, a, a real impression on people in, in Hollywood and Saturday night live uh, came calling. And so I went to NBC and I did my screen test and I had a really funny screen test and they hired me. Lauren Michaels said, called my manager, Brad Gray. And he said, it's going to be great having Dave with us in New York this season as a featured player. And I thought, oh man, this is amazing. I'm going to New York to be on SNL. Well, a week before I was supposed to leave, Lauren decided it wasn't going to work. So I had already told everybody in my life, I'm on Saturday Night Live, I'm going, I've already, you know, I'm looking for apartments in New York and I've already given notice at my apartment and I told everybody. And then I get this call and it was like, thud, oh no, I've got to call all these people back and tell them I'm not going to New York. At least yet. this was before social media, right? You didn't have to like hide your Instagram stories and... Very true. But I did hide for a while. I was, mm. I was really down about that. And then um, about a month later, I get this script called Full House. Oh my gosh. And had I gone to New York and been on SNL, I would have never had the chance to audition for Full House. And there would have been no me playing Joey Gladstone. In fact, there wouldn't have been a Joey Gladstone character because I named my own character. And Jeff Franklin said, I got to name your character. And I said, what, what if his name is Joey Gladstone? And he goes, that's really funny. You just thought and of that kept, right then? And he kept it. I just thought Gladstone was kind of like, he's a comedian, so he's glad. But, you know, stoners, you know, are going to love him. <laughs> you know, oh, Gladstone, you know. And that was my idea. And I threw it out and it made him laugh. And Jeff said, yeah, that's a keeper. So, so none of that would have happened. And it was one of those you know, it was one of those, be careful what you wish for stories. Yeah. Well, I read that there were something like a hundred, oh my gosh, 192 episodes of Full House. Yeah. It's a lot. That is staggering. At any point where you like, okay, this is enough. Like I got to get out of this house. (laughs) No, I was, I was the one between me and John and Bob, John Stamos and Bob Saget, and we're, the three of us are like brothers. I mean, we just talked two days ago. We uh, FaceTimed each other. We, we adore each other, but we fight like brothers. And we, uh, you know, we have known each other for so long. I met Bob when I was 18 years old, way before Full House. So we were already stand-up friends. And 
And so those guys had really had enough. In the eighth season, they were both like, this is ridiculous. And uh, <laughs> you might hear the garbage truck backing up totally in front of my house here. So if as long as he that, doesn't come through the wall, we'll be okay. Although true. that would be funny. It might make me like go viral house. for once. <laughs> It'd be like a full house episode. <laughs> so um so those guys were really done they really wanted to move on and i kept saying you know guys you never leave a successful show you never even throw that out into the ether you know you just let's let's go for as long as we can because these these are the good old days and we're never going to top this just we're never we're never going to find something that's going to be this big in in culture and in television and in americana there's we're never going to top this you know we're, we're we're in the top 10 of shows we've got 24 million viewers every week on abc we're in syndication we're never going to top this but those guys were really i think frustrated with playing danny and jesse and for me i was like you know I could do this for the next 10 years. That's how much fun I'm having. And those guys, we talked about that the other day. They, they mentioned it again. They said, you know, you loved being there and we were just ready to be out, you know? And I said, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. What? There's nothing wrong with being the star of a, a, a big, huge network TV show. It's the best job in the world. You come in, you get, you know, you, you make some people laugh. You work you for get five snacks. Days. I bet there were snacks. There was, yes. I mean, if you look at me in those old episodes, you could tell I was around craft service a lot. <laughs> so, so uh, it was the greatest job ever. And then to be able to reprise that character and come back and do Fuller House was like, you know, the gift of gifts. Yes. Yes. Well, I know you have to go shortly. So I want to make sure we talk about this media company. You made mention a few minutes ago. So let's talk about grilled cheese media and what, what, what's coming. Well, I've, I have so much history behind me of, of animation. Uh, You know, people probably don't know that I've done so many different animated voices. Uh, I worked with Jim Henson on the Muppet Babies. I was five characters. I was Animal and Bunsen Honeydew and the two old men in the balcony, Waldorf and Statler. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yep, that was me, uh-huh, yep. And um, uh, and then we added a new character, Bean Bunny, and then I was Peter Venkman on The Real Ghostbusters. And, uh, you know, I go back to Scooby-Doo, which was my first voiceover right. job. And so, you know, I've got to work with all of these amazing people, and we collected Emmys along the way, and, you know, and I've been a part of these amazing animated shows and family entertainment. And so I thought, wow, I've got all these movies that I've written. I've got all these shows that I've created. I have all these ideas. And so I started working with an animator by the name of Bob Harper. And we started pooling all of our ideas together and we realized we're, we're thinking the exact same thing. Let's, let's build tons of content in the family entertainment space because for me that's been my entire career it's been you know nickelodeon and abc and full house and fuller house and you know cartoons and i thought wow i have a lot of ideas that could really um you know uh, be 
amazing for kids and families to watch. So the whole concept of grilled cheese media is it's basically taking the full house brand and sensibility and applying that to all of this new content. Um, full house and fuller house had a real heart and kids were at the heart of the message and they were always at the heart of every show. And, um, I hear Jim Henson's voice in my head and I hear um, notes from ABC and I hear notes from Warner Brothers and, I, and I've collected all of those thoughts over the years and I thought, you know, I should be producing this stuff. I should be producing a lot of content because I think my sensibilities and understanding of that family demographic and that dynamic is right on the pulse of where we need to be right now. So, uh, so that's what I'm going to be doing. So grilled cheese media is going to launch in February and I'm so excited about all of this content I've created. My head's going to explode if I don't start producing this stuff. And, um, I, and so that's, that's what I'm doing. Awesome. And then you also, your wife has a clothing company called cut it out Wear. And so what can people find yes. there? Um, Joey Gladstone, silly stuff, Mr. Woodchuck shirts, you know, there's a Woodchuck shirt where it says got wood, um, or is that made of wood? And then we have silly shirts. Like there's one, there's a bra and a boob showing and the bra slipped off and it says wardrobe malfunction on it. Um, there's shirts that say, uh, when I don't grow up, I want to be Joey Gladstone, um, there's cut it out shirts, there's cut it out hats, hoodies, sweatshirts. Um, and it's just, I started selling them a long time ago at my stand-up shows and it was such a resounding success. I couldn't, I couldn't bring enough of them with me on the road. Um, so I started shipping them to myself on the road and they would sell out. And I thought, wow, people really love this stuff. So, um, so my wife said, I'm going to, bring all that stuff back. And I said, okay, but it's yours. You do it. <laughs> you take you it. design it, you manage it. So she's killing with it. And, and um, it's wonderful to hear the responses from people about these products. And I've got ideas to do funny underpants. Um, oh, underpants are always a good sell. <laughs> yeah. So I want to do funderpants. Uh, F-U-N, funderpants. Um, and just put funny sayings on them, you know? Uh, you know, for the guys, it would be like on the front, you'd put like objects may appear larger, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Right. Um, but, you know, everybody wears underpants. I mean, most people. Um, so, you know, unless you're going commando, but, um, you know, I thought what could be better or more personal than funny underpants? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Well, Dave, thank you so much for your time. I wish you the best of luck um, with you. Grilled Cheese Media. And yeah, just it was an honor. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.